Welcome to my podcast, and it's a pleasure to have with me a legend, ladies and gentlemen, a legend in Montreal journalism, the one, the only, Tommy Schnurmacher. Hello, Tommy. Hi, Mike. How are you? Nice to be here. Well, this is a real thrill for me because you interviewed me many times, and I was on your show, uh, on your panel on CJD, uh, loved it. It was among one of my favorite experiences. And we know we all miss hearing you on the radio, but we know you've been very busy since your retirement from CJD. So first off, uh, tell us what you're up to right now. Uh, well, uh, after, after CJD, what I did, uh, thank God, uh, I wanted to do a lot of traveling, which I did. I, whether it was local, I mean, relatively local in North America, going to places like uh, New York often, which I love, and San Diego. I also went uh, on, a, on a Mediterranean cruise, went uh, to Israel, uh, went to Italy a few times, and thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, after and then uh, I launched my uh, post-Holocaust memoir called uh, Makeup Tips from Auschwitz, How Vanity Saved My Mother's Life. And uh, as I, when I completed that book, I was lucky enough to have the launch here in Montreal, the Paragraph Bookstore and a number of other bookstores. I was invited to the Vancouver Jewish Book Festival. Uh, I was there for about seven or eight days. Uh, and it was right after that, like a couple of weeks after that, that the pandemic hit. And uh, uh, I found um, that the pandemic somehow allowed me to continue doing a book tour, but virtually. In other words, I only have to get dressed from the waist up. <laughs> uh, and I've been doing these Zoom presentations, and I did uh, quite a number here in uh, Montreal for book clubs, for, for uh, synagogues, Jewish community centers. I did one in Ottawa. I did one in Washington. And I have a, a number coming up, uh, about a half dozen in, in November, including at uh, schools in, uh, in elementary schools in, in Ontario, as well as various places in the United States. Massachusetts and, uh, is one, and, and North Carolina, uh, another one. So it's very exciting to present the book and talk about uh, and talk about what it's like being the child of uh, Holocaust survivors to audiences across uh, North America. And I haven't yet started on, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and Great Britain. All of those things have had to fly there and go there would be too expensive, too complicated. But you can reach those audiences via Zoom. And some people are saying they're very tired of Zoom. I'm not. I'm learning so much by attending Zoom sessions and Zoom uh, webinars. And also, by the way, get this, I've also become the Quebec Regional Representative for the Writers Union of Canada. Well, a muzzle tub on that one, Tommy. And, you know, uh, Zuma, one of my sponsors is Petros Taverna, which has uh, three locations, one in Westmount, one in Griffintown, one in Laurier. Uh, they're doing takeout or delivery right now. And they actually, last night, did something interesting on Zoom. Uh, their Laurier place uh, worked with the Mile End Mission, the Mile End Community Mission. And uh, what happened is people ordered their meals from, uh, uh, from uh, Laurier, Petros Laurier. They picked them up or had them delivered and had their meals in front of their computers while they heard a guest speaker, Rachel Bendayan, uh, the uh, MP for Outremont. So you, you Zoom is being used for all kinds of right. stuff. And I, I, I can tell you that I couldn't live without it. Now, Tommy, going back, of course, we all first got to know you, and I used to idolize you, in fact, uh, with your gossip column in the Gazette. And I'm sure you had a lot of fun memories from that. Oh, absolutely. I adored doing that. Uh, I had gossip. I was writing gossip five days uh, a week. And, uh, you know, like 
those were the times. Now gossip is on the front page of everything. As, as, you know, in those days, it was in the entertainment section, right? Uh, ever since, you know, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky moved from the back pages to the, to the front pages uh, of the paper. Yeah, I, I adored that. I mean, you got to go to every single event. I went to the Academy Awards 13 times. I went to the Cannes Film Festival. So, um, uh, and that was interesting how I managed to do that. Uh, I told the uh, the Gazette that CJD was paying for the airfare. Would they mind paying for the hotel? <laughs> and uh, well, okay, if they're doing half of it, we also want it. So they agreed to that. And I told you know the you know, the Gazette the the opposite flipped it. And then, <laughs> then, then so, so that's how I got there the first year. The second year I didn't call either one of them. Uh, I just booked it. And then when they said, well, what's this about uh, you're submitting these expenses for who, who approved this? I said, no, oh, nobody approved it. We do this every year. <laughs> and then we did that for, you know, and that's how it became a, uh, I did it for 13 years. After 13 years, Mike, I got tired of it. I feel every few years I have to reinvent myself. I adored being a, a talk show host on, on CJD and I certainly missed the, the, the people. Uh, but, uh, after after having done it, you know, like daily three hour talk shows for more than twenty years, I, I figured that was enough, and it was time to move on. It's uh, I mean, I was there when sort of your talk show career began. I was with our old friend Neil Drapkin at the old CIQC radio, and yes. he had a show on a Sunday night, and he brought you in as a guest, and you were talking politics, and we both said to ourselves wow, this is a whole Tommy that we, we've never seen before, and you were so fantastic. The next thing you knew, you had a show on CIQC, and then soon after, CJD said, hey, uh, they had a one-two punch. It was Tommy and Galganov, and everybody was listening. Then you ended yeah. up on CJD. So it was really interesting how your career as a political commentator took off. Uh, yes. I, 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 no, I don't think that, on the Galganov thing, Galganov came – was uh, I had him on as a guest uh, quite often, but he was on, on CIQC, not on CJD. He never. No, no, so no. Yeah, no, no. I said CIQC. I said you were a dynamic duo, and it was you and him together on CIQC. And no, 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 no. He went on to CIQC after I had left. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, we, I got my. We were not. We weren't on uh, together. But I'm in, intrigued by uh, what you said about that first day on on Neil Drafton's show. Neil yeah. invited me on as a guest. My first inclination, I, I said, no, I didn't want to do the show. He prevailed upon me to do it, and I did it. I was on with him for an hour, Mike. And let me tell you something. This was a very uh, unusual, very bizarre experience. I was on for an hour, and when it was over, uh, you know, a friend of mine uh, picked me up, and I said, there's something wrong. I said, the clock said that I was on for an hour. But I don't believe that time passed. I felt yes. like I was on for two minutes. I yes. had never, ever enjoyed anything more than talking about politics on the radio and having a back and forth about it than anything I'd ever thought about. <laughs> so I, I hadn't thought of becoming a, a, a talk show. But after that hour, I said, wow, this is unbelievable. And they asked me to sit in, fill in for someone who was going away on, on holiday. And then they offered me the show. And I have to say, I absolutely loved it. And when I switched to CJ, CIQC used to be on McGill College at the time. Yeah. And uh, CJD at the time was on St. Catherine and Fort. So one morning uh, after I switched from CIQC to CJD, I walked 
all the way down to McGill, St. Catherine McGill College. I walked into the lobby of the CIQC building. Oh, my. For a second. I don't work here anymore. And then I had to ride out and grab a cab and go to CJD. Like, I was so used to going there. Yeah. I was absentmindedly went back to the same uh, workplace. I love doing uh, radio and, and, you know, meeting, you know, people and politicians. My first day at CJD, I co-hosted it with former Prime Minister Kim Campbell. So it was a great way to to launch it and I got to meet lots of great authors and uh, it, it was it was very exciting and they were talking about whatever the hot issues of, of the day were and I have to say management and CJD was terrific there's nothing that they insisted that I had to do and there's nothing that they ever told me I can't do well you know going back to Neil McKenty and uh, Melanie King Tommy Schnurmacher, and now they have uh, Elias Makos, who's fantastic to listen to. They had the Leslie Roberts, who we all love and adore. Uh, it, it's, it's a great spot. But, uh, Tommy, uh, uh, just a, I know that you also have been doing a podcast, uh, the Spirits and Spirituality, that you kind of put on hold. How are you enjoying that? Yes, I, I enjoyed that quite, quite a bit. And, again, we get to meet very interesting people. We interviewed uh, you know, President Bush's speechwriter, David Fromm. We interviewed author Nathan Englander, uh, Dr. Ruth, uh, you know, various priests and uh, rabbis. We interviewed ex- intriguing people, and you have like, you know, like 45 minutes, so you have an extensive amount of time to chat about whatever subject you want. So uh, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed uh, doing that. We're t- taking a brief uh, hiatus uh, from it, and we'll continue it uh Shortly. So if Tommy Schnurmacher was on CJD right now, there are a couple of things I would be dying to know. First of all, Tommy, your comments, uh, what would you be talking about regarding COVID-19, how it's being handled, and if we're ever going to get out of this? Well, uh, in terms of, I I would bow to, you know, know, the the latest scientific information. I think that if you're in a red zone, that uh, that has meaning. Uh, I don't see it as being uh, political. I, I think you want you do have to be uh, careful, and uh, that every politician has a tough time because you've got to balance uh, safety. Uh, on the other hand, you can't keep closed uh, an entire society closed indefinitely, so you have to balance it. And uh, what I find interesting is the United States at the beginning, with Fauci and that team, had it right at the beginning. In other words. This is what you have to do. You have to lock down in certain areas. And after you've seen two weeks of this, then it's okay to open up a little more. Then after another two weeks, if it's okay, then it's open up a little more. So they laid it all out, laid off the pathway about how to sort of open up gradually, slowly, but surely. In other words, pretty much like they've done in various other countries where it's worked, like uh, Germany, Israel figured it out at at some point that you can't open completely. Uh, New Zealand obviously figured it out. So did South Korea and Taiwan. Uh, But what happened is as soon as the weather got nice and, you know, there was pandemic fatigue from people, you know, we as the people may be fatigued of the pandemic, but the virus is not fatigued. So what happened, instead of going with that plan, you know, bit by bit by bit, they threw it out the window and the weather was nice and the hell with all of it and just threw caution to the winds. And that's why things got started getting uh, out of hand again. So that's how I would cover COVID. Now, it's very easy to be critical of political leaders, but it's very hard to find somebody who will find the solution that everybody will be thrilled with. It's impossible to do that. Again, because I said, you've got to have such a fine-tuned balance of 
being careful versus not completely closing. So it's it's hard to find that balance. And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly wouldn't say, oh, well, if I ran it, it would be perfect. So by the way, huh. folks have the solution to everything. But that's easy because they don't have to do anything. They just have to say the solution. What would you be have to actually enforce it or do it? Uh, agreed. What would you be saying to us about the presidential race right now? What would what would Tommy be talking about? Well, for, first I have to tell you that I'm totally riveted and fascinated by uh, the pre- American presidential race. I mean, uh, you know, I watch uh, Morning Joe, I watch Brian Williams on at night on on MSNBC. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I think that it's uh, it, it's stunning to me that you have a president who a, a Canadian journalist, Daniel Dale, has documented as having lied 20,000 times. <laughs> now, when you think about it, think, think of this for a second. Um, you know, Mitt Romney had a comment, right, about having binders full of women. He meant binders full of lists of women candidates. But because he said binders full of women, and he said something about 46% of people are takers or whatever, gone, two comments, out, lost, finished, end of story. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, with Biden, whereas with Trump, I mean, the list of comments goes on endlessly. I'm not going to list them right now, starting with way back when. Uh, I, I knew something was up when a comment like, oh, yeah, when a take surfaces that, you know, grab them by the, you know what, and – and it doesn't make a dent. And at some point during, right immediately after that, Mike, I think Trump said that it wasn't his voice on the tape and that people start to believe this. Then it goes into QAnon, the insanity of it, and the fact that his followers uh, are still as devoted. I, I was trying to figure that out. And uh, I have read like every book that comes out by anybody remotely associated with Trump and American politics I've, I've bought. The best one of a bunch to explain everything is you read the, a book called The Cult of Trump. That really okay. explains uh, a quite qu- quite a bit of how, how that, that happens. Now, I know the opinion is divided, and what bothers me the most about it uh, is that he has succeeded, Donald Trump has succeeded not only in dividing America, but dividing people to the terms of friends and relatives, husband and wife, uh, synagogue, like, you know, like I once interviewed David Wolpe, the, um, the rabbi, one of the top rabbis in Los Angeles. And, yeah. uh, and I asked him some question about American politics. And he said to me, no, 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 I don't go there. He said, half my congregation are Republicans, half are Democrats. I don't say mm-hmm. anything. This was way before Trump. So I think the same thing uh, applies. And even with members, I have members in my, uh, uh, my family, close family, like, uh, you know, cousins who live in uh, New York City, live in Muncie, who think uh, because I don't like Trump that I'm crazy. They think that, that I must be out of my mind. Hmm. And the arguments got very, very heated. And I said, that, listen, the only conclusion I can come to is let's agree to disagree and let's talk about other issues. So with my relative, we talk about other issues because it just gets too heated. Each side, and this is what I've learned about the whole thing, each side cannot comprehend how the other side doesn't see it the way they do. And I, that's unprecedented. Like, it, like 20 years ago, if you're a Republican, you could see how, where the Democrats were coming from and vice versa, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, right now, the Biden supporters can't understand how anybody in their right mind can like Trump and vice versa. And the Trump supporters can't believe anybody in their right mind can like Biden. 
So it, 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 the division is deeper than it's, than it's ever been before. You're correct. So what would, we, what would you be telling us about Francois Legault uh, and his, his role? Well, what I have to say about uh, Francois Legault is like he's, he's trying to do uh, his best under very difficult circumstances. At the beginning, he was certainly being transparent each and every day. He expressed sympathy every single day for the people who had who had died. So uh, he, I thought he was taking it seriously. Can he do it perfectly? I, I don't think so. But I have to tell you one thing that I noticed. Uh, the, the difference between the American politicians and Francois Legault. Uh, the American politicians immediately jumped on the Orthodox Jewish community by name. Como did it and, the, and de Blasio did it. Right. They were very mm-hmm. over here. I noticed at the beginning, instead of whipping up a frenzy and saying it's the Orthodox Jewish community that didn't do this or didn't do that. Legault made no mention of a specific ethnic community in any way. He said in this area, in certain areas in this area, it's bad. It's spread here. It's spread there. He didn't uh, he didn't use the populist uh, method. And he didn't try to use the Jewish community as a scapegoat, which some people might have expected would happen. And I have to say it didn't happen. It certainly didn't happen from Legault. It didn't happen from the, the leadership. The Quebec, the French media, uh, that's a different story. Uh, completely, completely. Right. So we move from Legault. What would Tommy be telling us on his show? What would he be saying about Justin Trudeau? Oh, that that's just... That's, I mean, Oh, I don't That's just breathtaking. I mean, it's just, that, that we scan was just beyond, beyond the pale. I mean, um, it, 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 it's just startling and stunning, the amount of nonsense and lies and the word salad. First of all, the aggravation about everything that he's doing for Canadians, as opposed to what? You know, like <laughs> Lithuanians and Ukrainians. Like, the, the, the platitudes are, are beyond... Uh, uh, absurd, like just ludicrous. But he, uh, he knows that, you know, like uh, he's got nothing to worry about. This whole business about, oh, there's going to be election. Yeah, my foot. Uh, the other is <laughs> not ready for an election, and the NDP is scared of its own shadow. So uh, <laughs> he, can do, he can do whatever he wants. By the way, did you see, I just heard about this. This is brand new. I haven't even seen it yet. The, the Borat movies. Borat 2 is coming out today. It's on my list. Oh, he is, the, I think, one of the greatest comic geniuses of all time, uh, uh, Sacha Baron Cohen. So I heard that in the movie, uh, a couple of minutes into the movie, they said there's uh, I haven't seen it, but this is what I've heard, that there's something about uh, Borat saying that after the election of uh, President Obama, many countries, you know, elected African leaders. And there's a picture of Trudeau in blackface. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's typical. That's... You know, that typical is Borat. But again, that is a riot. again, like it depends on, you know, there's certain politicians if they if they like you or they or don't like you. Like in the United States, they like Trump. So it doesn't matter what he does or what he says. If they like him, they like him. So nothing will change that. With Trudeau, I mean, there's, there's no comparison between the two men. But with Trudeau, the same thing applies to some extent. If they like him, they like him. You know, if he's, can you imagine if any conservative leader had done blackface? End of story. Finished. Oh, <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. So finished. And, and uh, close. Uh, same thing, the, you know, like the, the NDP, right? But it's Trudeau and they like it. So they forgive him all kinds of things. And like, we'll find a, 
they just don't want to give up on him. I, I mean, a, a large segment of the population, so they like him. Uh, that's what happens. If, if they really like you as a politician, for a long, long time, you can get away with a lot. My final question to you is uh, for your commentary on the mayor of Montreal, Valerie Plante. <laughs> I have to tell you, I haven't been paying that much attention, but everybody's telling me that you can't get from A to B anywhere in Montreal, that it's become like, uh, you know, one big cyclophone. You can't park anywhere. You can't go anywhere. The downtown area is devastated. So all of these things are a bad idea. But um, I have to say that, that the main reason that I liked her is that she wasn't Denis Coderre, not because I think Denis Coderre is a bad guy or wouldn't be good as a, as a, as a premier or as a or maybe even as a prime minister uh, one day. I think he's a talented guy and a decent guy. I was just worried about him for his own legacy, writing a blank check for baseball um, at, at two billionaire owners. Like, I think baseball would be terrific, and uh, I'm not a fan, but if, if it comes to town, that would be great. But I don't think it should be taxpayers picking up the tabs for it. So that, that's the reason. But to tell you the truth, I'm not paying that much attention to uh, – local Montreal politics to really offer a, a, an educated opinion. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, Tommy, I've done an expanded version of my podcast because I could talk to you all day. People miss you on the radio. I want to thank you so much for your time, and we'll do this again sometime. Mike, a pleasure talking to you. Take care. All right. The legend, ladies and gentlemen, Tommy Schnurmacher.